Can I have a glass of water? Who's that handsome? Canvas, art and ideas on FBI Radio. And I'm your other host, Sabella D'Souza. Um, this week we continue our coverage of the National. Oh, I'm just going straight into it. Tackling Museum of the Contemporary Art. We're joined in studio by artists Tina Havelock-Stevens and curator Anna Davis. That's right. And then we're follow- and then following that is Marilyn Schneider, who's coming in to discuss Disappearing Here, uh, an exhibition at Verge Gallery. Yeah. Um, as we go into the show, we'd like to pay our respects to the traditional owners upon the land upon which we broadcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to... Uh, to extend our respects to our Indigenous listeners and guests, as well as their elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. Canvas would also like to take a moment to extend our thoughts to our Muslim communities listening this Sunday morning in light of the recent act of terror in Christchurch. We'd also like to take a moment right now um, of silence and solidarity with those who have currently been affected. So we're just going to take a moment. There's a solidarity action taking place today at 3pm in the CBD um, at 20 Bond Street. It is a very wet weather day, um, but we'd like to ask our listeners, if you're able to come out and show support, please do. Um, Otherwise, if you're unable to, please consider donating to the Victims Family Relief Fund. We've We've posted the fund and link to the funds across our social media, and it will also be in our episode link description today. Yeah, so hopefully you can bear the wet weather and uh, join us. Let's get to our first track. This is Faruz with Annalie Habibi. You're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio. Beautiful track from the Queen of Arab Music we just heard um, from Lebanon-based Farouz with her track Anna La Habibi. You're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Sibella D'Souza. I'd also like to just apologise for the fact that you probably couldn't hear what David was saying in yeah. the last segment because all of the microphones were switched around and I didn't know what was going on, so it's not you my didn't, fault. You didn't miss much. I'm sure I said something along the lines of, of I'm, I'm David Kapper and you're listening to Canvas <laughs> yeah. on 94.5. <laughs> um, well, I am David Capra, and uh, we are—we have a special, the national edition. Well, over the next three weeks, we're going to be interviewing artists and curators from the national. Who do we have today? Well, today we have um, Anna Davis, uh, 
who, sorry. We Today we have, um, we're joined in the studio by curator Anna Davis and artist Tina Havelock-Stevens from the Museum of Contemporary Art. Anna Davis joined the MCA as a curator back in 2009. She specialises in working with artists to realise ambitious projects, both inside and outside the gallery environment. She has a particular interest in the interdisciplinary and experimental practices. And Tina Havelock-Stevens works in video, music, sound, experimental documentary and performance and used to be a producer on... <laughs> TV, which I am most interested in. You love it, don't you? You just want me there. Bondo Rescue. um, Don't. I won't. No, we won't go there. We'll leave that aside. We're talking about real art today, so I'm looking forward to it. Real (laughs) art? No distinction. (laughs) Sorry, Tina. You're fine. It's okay. You can get excited about that stuff. You know, you can be excited. I like TV. Um, Should we ask? Should we ask Anna? How's it going with the National? You're installing? Yeah, it's going. That's what I keep saying. It's going. It's moving. Um, We are in the middle of install at the moment. Um, A lot of artists are arriving next week, though. Uh, But Tina has already been in the space and her work Mm. is, you know, maybe 80% there. Like, uh, so, yeah, we've got a lot going on and there's... You know, there's a lot of artists just uh, in the national in general, but at the MCA as well. There's, I think, if you count everyone individually, uh, you know, not as groups as well, it's 24 artists. So it's a lot of, a lot of wow, people. Wow, that doing is lots a of lot things. of people. Yeah. And so, Tina, what have you been brewing up? <laughs> it's been brewing for a while, actually. And yeah. I've sort of been picking away at it um, in in bursts. Um, I've made a, it's, it's ended up, you know, I edit without any paperwork or idea or I don't write anything down. So I've been going for a little while and I've made, I've ended up with a 19 and a half minute dual channel video with surround sound. So, um, it's, uh, it's a mix of kind of archival footage, Not, not my own personals, but oh, there's maybe one or two shots in there, but archival footage of rivers, um, and the departure point for it is drumming. You know, I drum at uh, loaded sites for whatever reason. And in this instance, I drummed um, where they made Apocalypse Now mm. at a place called Belair in the Philippines. Um, and what drew you to, to that site? Well, I was actually, I mean, I was in the Manila Biennale last year. So, oh, yes. Um, and there's an artist called Maria Cruz. Do you, have you heard of Maria? Yeah. She's a painter, and her family yeah. has a place up there, and she grew up there. Oh, I see. Yeah, there's and a they, whole bunch of artists. And when they shot Apocalypse Now, they kind of ran all over her parents' property and did bits and pieces. And so I kind of knew this. So when I got to Manila, I ended up going up there, yeah, six hours north. And um, presto, I I drummed around the place, and, um, yeah, it was pretty – it's it's pretty incredible. And it's etched in our memories, that scene where they are in the riverboat. Yeah. And what's it feel like? It's quite eerie in the film, but how would you describe it? Well, it's quite weird space? because I, I kept thinking of the film, but then I, it's, I'm in the Philippines and it's, it's a stand-in for, mm. you know, Vietnam to Cambodia, South Cambodia. So it was, um, it was quite, quite odd in that sense. But then they've renamed the area Charlie's Point and everybody very much, you know, the legend of Apocalypse Now mm. is very large there. Mm, mm. And... Um, we, you yeah, get so there was a there, there is a feeling, but then you know I'm sort of having this feeling that's not really, you know, I'm thinking about the film crew tromping mm. all over the place, mm. and how that affected everybody. Yeah. The- um, but yeah, it's uh, it was it's a I mean it's absolutely beautiful, but you know the Philippines is you know you you're up a notch when you're there. It's mm. uh, it's got troubles, and um, so yeah, there is kind of a, you know, well. Where isn't 
at the moment there's a sort of a apocalyptic edge mm. just going on, isn't there? So I guess the whole work sort of taps into that. So it's looking at autobiography, human condition, but there's also sort of what's emerged out of it is sort of this ecological thing, this anthropocenic thing, and as well as the improvisatory mm. um, aspect of it, which, of course, is what um, the MCA have um, been focusing on mm. in part as well. That's right, isn't it? The Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I was just going to say that, um, you know, I, one of the reasons I'm interested in Tina's work is really um, around that kind of improvisational... Mm. Um, process that that she works in. I'm really interested in artists who work um, experimentally or um, use, I guess, risky processes to create their work. And improvisation is an interesting way of working in that it's um, it's not like you're just doing anything and making up as you go along. There's actual, you know, very precise um, activities and sort of almost ritualistic um, mm. elements to it, but you, mm. what actually comes from it is the thing that is the surprise, you know, that uh, something mm. will be drawn from that that is chance-based, um, that comes from a huge, <coughs> excuse me, uh, background of practice, you know, that, that you're channeling in to this particular moment. And I um, particularly like the way Tina works, um, you know, and how she's brought her... Uh, drumming practice together with her sort of filmmaking practice and they've come together in this really interesting kind of improvisational um, you know video installation work so yeah I mean it was one of the things that uh, it was a kind of it's something that interests me but it's also one of the things that's surprised I think um, Clotilde Bullen and I who are the two co-curators through the exhibition you know working with artists that we're interested in but then having these themes kind of pop up and develop an improvisation and ritual and these kind of the way those two things work together or against each other is one of those themes. So mm. Tina's work fits really well mm. into that. What are the what are the other themes that have kind of popped up through this curatorial process that you've been going through? Oh, well, it's been really interesting, and it is hard to talk about it without Chloe being here. Um, we we'll have to get Chloe in again. Yeah, Chloe, <laughs> hopefully Chloe will come in soon. But um, I mean, for for me and Chloe, the first thing was you know who who are we as people and what are our um, backgrounds and what does that mean in terms of a collaboration and Clotilde being um, an, a Noongar woman, Aboriginal woman who focuses on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander practice and me being a you know, white woman from Sydney who's focusing on um, you know, experimental um, practices. It was just like, okay, this is going to be an interesting <laughs> collaboration. And we really decided to make that kind of moment or coming together the the sort of the structural background or the idea behind the show. So what does that mean to collaborate like that in such from such different backgrounds? Um, and we're interested in the third space, I guess, that what does that mean when these two things come together in a way that creates a new kind of space? It's not exactly equal, but there's equity and you can unpack that sort of idea. Mm. Um, but, yeah, some of the themes that have emerged have been definitely power and hierarchy. That's That's something that a lot of artists are dealing with in their work. Um, and it appears in all sorts of different artists' work in different ways. And the, I think also around representation and the way different people, um, uh, I guess, are represented through these powers and hierarchies and sort of trying to blow some of them apart. Um, but also, yeah, ritual improvis- improvisation. I was saying there's a lot of artists um, dealing with ritual in a way that was quite surprising to us. So whether it's a personal ritual that they create for themselves, and I think Tina's work 
in a sense, are these kind of, um, whatever you want to call them, but they're almost like emotional rituals or she's mm. tapping into the emotion mm. of a site or a place but becomes almost ritualistic in the way that she does it. Mm. And there's other artists who are, who are also working in a similar way. Um, and then there's much more sort of um, distance and um, kind of calm... Um, improvisational chance-based work, um, someone like Ross Manning, who's dealing with the way a machine can kind of improvise. Um, someone like Hannah Bronte, who's dealing with very much, you know, a kind of creating a new ritual. Um, but she's also improvising, you know, she's working with hip-hop artists and people who are, um, you know, literally improvising as they create um, music. So, yeah. So you, can you tell us a little bit about Han Hannah Bronte's work? It's or? so, it's really exciting. Like, I think for me, Tina and Hannah, like, they're right there at the front of the show and I, I'm not allowed to pick favourites or anything like that, <laughs> but I'm really excited about both of their new video works. Okay. Um, um, and so Hannah's work is a new work um, and it's it's fantastic. I, I don't want to say too much about it, but it is, it's projected onto the ground and she has done, it's actually projected onto a pool of sand um, and she has worked um, projecting onto the ground in one other work and I feel like this is the kind of development of that piece. Um, it's really strong um, and very female. Yeah, oh. that sounds great. Yeah. Well, keeping that in mind, let's go to our second track of the day. This is MIA. I'm Sabella D'Souza and you're listening to Campus on FBI Radio 94.5. <laughs> heard from artist Mitch with his album released last month. That song was M.I.A. Um, sorry, you're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Sabella D'Souza. We're in the studio right now with artist Tina Havlock-Stevens and curator Anna Davis from the Museum of Contemporary Art talking about The National. So Anna was talking a little bit about ritual that many artists are kind of exploring this, the mm. idea of ritual. I've often thought when I look at your work and you're drumming away on a particular side, I'm often thinking what's going through your mind? Are you responding to sound, energy, rhythm? Can you give us a sense? <laughs> Tina is <laughs> shrugging. Hands, like, um, look, I know I'm very, um, I know that I'm going to go to that side. I'm mm. quite um, firm about that. And it all just kind of tends to flow. Like obviously I... I sort of organise, okay, I'm going to go there and I get there. Um, but I don't know what I'm going to play when I get there. Okay. So in a way, it's like when I did the work in Detroit, I laughed because I'd look back at it and go, oh, look, that's a Detroit beach, isn't it? I wonder where that came from. Like, So there is this kind of sense that, you know, and I think maybe sometimes I was looking at some of the stuff I did for this and it sounds a bit choppery on the um, on the floor toms, yeah. things like that. So I am obviously thinking about the film. Was the was at just... Detroit, was that at the site of the big plane crash or is that another site? No, that's a different site in the Mojave up. Desert. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. No, right. Detroit, I just, I drummed throughout the whole city, basically. Right. I drummed motor factories and burnt out, you know, smelt and all sorts of places. Oh, incredible. That are, uh, Let's talk a so, little but, bit about yeah. the Philippines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're I, the site of Apocalypse Now. Um, look, it's very, it's the Aguang River, mm. which is in, um, yeah, Belair, so six hours north of Manila. Um... It's a kind of a surfing, kind of a surfing area. Yeah. Um, and the legend is that, and I don't think it's entirely true, but the legend is that, you know, when the, the guys from Apocalypse Now, like the crew left a couple of surfboards behind and then suddenly <laughs> surfing took off. And, oh, boy. But I think there'd been a little bit of surfing before then. Um, 
yeah so look the yeah so it's kind of like it's a there's a, a beach it's very volcanic the you know there's all that sort of stuff but I was focusing very much on the river um, which is just yeah it's an incredibly beautiful kind of tropical color and it, it all feels very calm but you know when you're in the Philippines that there's a feeling of <laughs> not so calm yeah. and you're literally and, in the river at some point and, as well, yeah which I didn't know I was going to do <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah, so there's all this. I mean, I don't want to sound like a, you know, dick and go, oh my God, look what I did in my video. But I mean, I just, I don't know mm. a lot of the time what's, you know, I don't know, I don't go with the plan. Like, I just know that I'm going to go and I'm going to find somewhere in that area to place my drum kit and I'm going to play something. And that's it. And yeah. I just set up the drum kit on a tripod. Yeah. Um, and what did it so feel like sort of when you started drumming in the space? Do you remember? Yeah, it was pretty exhilarating. Mm. It's exhilarating. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Like, you can't, you know, all the stuff that's got me there, all the things outside the frame, everything that's got me there, the adventure, the the billions of <laughs> widgets that that are around that is mm. kind of what is going on. Yeah. There's this really great scene in the video as well, which I don't <laughs> want to give too much away, but there's a really amazing scene where she's uh, Tina's drumming in the jungle, like literally kind of feels like it's really deep jungle and you're getting ideas about the film and stuff. But then this huge white Brahmin cow just appears. Wow. And for me, it was like, that is a real <laughs> Tina thing in that, you know, she didn't kind of book the cow and have it come and just nah. be there witnessing this drumming performance it sort of just magically appeared and it's like yeah. you know uh, Tina has this way of sort of being able to kind of get into the whatever that is that energy of the space and then things kind of happen um Anna you've had a past in VJing um <laughs> as I've been told apparently a big day out <laughs> at some point in your life oh basically so I was a, a an artist you know, my background's as an artist doing mm. a lot of video and um, me and my partner uh Jason G um you know he was he was doing a lot of cut up videos and we made a lot of work together um and then yes did various we used to do nightclubs and all sorts of things but yeah big day out was probably out the biggest screens we ever and did how do you on. find that kind of um that that background in video work and also that background as an artist, do you find that it affects the way that you curate today and like what you're drawn to in terms of curation as well? Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, I think, you know, I can't get away from it. Video, video is like my baby. There's always a bit of video in some of my shows. Although, you know, actually, you know, since working at the MCA, I've, you know, I've worked with painters and um, sculptors and all sorts of different, um, you know, art practices. But there's something about video that I will always really love. Um, but I think, I hope, it gives me a sense of what it's like, um, you know, to put your self out there on the line and that that kind of feeling of you know being really raw and um how scary and vulnerable that can be at certain points but also just the kind of processes you've got to be go through as an artist so I, I feel like as an artist that helps me understand maybe um on a different level what that's like for an artist at particular points in time you know when everyone wants something from you and it's all about logistics and what kind of paint we're going to use on the gallery wall and blah 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 and just kind of understanding where your head might be at as an artist mm. um i think is helpful can we talk a little bit about sound in the exhibition yes. because it's a bit of a theme yeah, there's a lot <laughs> of sound sound is like one of the most difficult oh. but exciting things to deal with in a museum. So I love working with artists who, you know, maybe have a sound background or use sound in their work in different ways. But the thing about sound is it travels and mm. it's almost impossible to stop it um, moving through spaces, particularly once you get to, like, low bassy sounds. They're just going to go. And so... Um, you know, uh, this is one of the issues. I do, do it deliberately, but it is 
it is difficult. So there's a lot of artists working with sound and there's a lot of artists actually who have maybe experimental sound backgrounds as well. Mm. So people mm. who've come from, like Tina's come from a, um, you know, she was a drummer in a in bands, you know, so from yes. a, a post-punk sort of scene and various other things. And there's other artists, uh, Lucas Abella, who's, you know, experimental yes. sound musician, Ross Manning, who has that background, Hannah Bronte, who's, mm. you know, puts on um, Femme Press and, you know, amazing sort of hip-hop um uh, events and you know so there there is this kind of um thread i guess that runs through of artists who use sound as a kind of a key part yeah, of their work part, yeah. and the sound in tina's is basically essential to to you know it is probably the most important thing in the works so. and it's surround sound i believe yeah it's 5.1 surround yeah. which is a a nod to i mean apocalypse now is the first 70 millimeter film to use um surround sound oh, so that people okay. are literally in the audience thinking that helicopters were flying it's from famous behind for and that going over their head and yes. ducking sound ducking in the um yeah. ducking in your seat <laughs> yeah. never heard anything like it going around your head so yeah so we've had a bit of a play with that and um yeah the sound component's been actually really huge like we um liberty my collaborator who i've been playing with for years she's in the mumps with me and we've mm. known each other forever we set up my turn my house into a studio which is what happens occasionally <laughs> very occasionally but it's it's fun when it does and um just kind of yeah recorded some some things so this incredible and then, um, sound and then it's it's really yeah. logistical nightmare in a way to actually get that to work in the gallery so like you yeah. really have to kind of try and pad out these kind of concrete cubes in a way that will absorb some of the sound and make it sound like it should yeah and then also try and stop it just taking over the entire rest of the gallery so right. particularly when you've got multiple artists doing that but my so. corridor helps yeah my, my threshold Tina, corridor. wonderful um <laughs> her own idea of having these this kind of almost like a backstage area of black uh, velvet curtains which you walk through which really does change the sound mm. as you walk through yeah. but it also helps <laughs> beautiful yeah and is there any public programs there is one i believe where tina is drumming yeah that's next is it it's on the 29th okay yeah I think at about 3.30 or something at the front check the, the website and, and Facebook court. page and all that stuff because there's heaps of public programs but yes Tina will be drumming live doing an improvisational drumming performance with her collaborator Liberty yeah. outside the MCA so wow. that's really exciting how long and will you be because you are renowned for doing hours I can do three days yeah <laughs> we've, or, had, uh, we've had to squeeze her in with all the other things that's not it's as long as she's hours. done yet but it's pretty long <laughs> it is pretty long when yeah. you're drumming well I can't wait it sounds yeah. fantastic yeah. congratulations on yeah. beautiful no, new really, work I'm very happy yeah. and thank you Anna for seriously for, uh, my, for having me my pleasure Aww. yeah yeah well, thank you so much for joining us. That was curator Anna Davis and artist Tina Havelock-Stevens from the Museum of Contemporary Art talking about the National which opens on the 29th of March and runs until the 21st of June. Canvas has uh, is covering a few of these shows in the lead-up to the National with artists and curator interviews from across all three institutions. Next week, we'll be tackling Carriage Works. You can listen back to last week's interview via FBI Radio or via Spotify. Up next, we chat with Marilyn Schneider, but before that, let's go to our next track by The Blaze. This is Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5, and I'm Sibella D'Souza. Bye. 
French duo The Blaze with their track Territory. That song has the most incredible music video um, that the Grand Prix that won the Grand Prix Award at the Cannes Film Festival in mm. 2017. It's worth a watch if you haven't seen it. I'm Sibella D'Souza and you're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5 or wherever you listen, get your podcasts. We're joined right now by artist Marilyn Schneider. And Marilyn is a Sydney-based artist whose practice is concerned with the visual language of architecture, facades, the surfaces and logos in commercial spaces and what they reveal about our culture. Good morning, Marilyn. Good to have you here. Thank you for having me. Especially being able to brave the wet weather and make it into the studio. True. Very rainy. (laughs) So you have a show at Verge Gallery. Uh, What would we see if we stepped into Verge Gallery today? Um, So I've got three structures which imitate um, uh, the dimensions of parts of the gallery space. So um, they're quite large and they're on wheels okay. so um, you can move the structures around and change the configuration of the installation in and, the space. And why did you put them on wheels? I guess that I wanted the audience to have um, their own agency and um, okay. power to to move things around and um, sort of be like a curator or a, um, artist themselves in the way that they can change the um, placement of the structures to suit their aesthetic needs. Yeah, well, you're challenging, in a way, the kind of role of a curator in a space, which is, I decide that this workplace is here, yeah. and then here, and there's a kind of, there's an obvious power sort of thing being like, yeah. I decide where these things go, to put something on wheels and then to encourage people to move it around. Like, I saw people noticing it was on wheels, but then being like, I don't know if I can touch it. Oh, like, it's like, yeah. what's going on here? I was at um, a public programming at Verge Gallery, um a few days ago for Running Dog mm-hmm. um, and everyone had like, you know, Tesha, the you know gallery director, had moved all of the work, ac- you know, to the sides and everything. But I think everyone was a bit confused as to how we were allowed to move it. Like- yeah, <laughs> I know. Some people said that they've spent half an hour in there moving the structures around and wow. like playing with the space. And yeah, I think it's also like my role as an artist as well, like because um, I do site-specific installation, it's like I... To make a lot of decisions um, which are in response to the space so it's sort of leaving that up to the audience where they can make some of those decisions for me. <laughs> and you're inspired by a chandelier is that right? Yeah. Can you yeah. tell us how? Um, well I was at my boyfriend's house and I was cleaning up and under the table there was um, I just picked up this piece of paper and it was um, assembly instructions for chandeliers. So he has chandeliers oh. in his house. An assembly instruction, instruction. manual for chandeliers. Yep. I didn't even know that was a thing that could exist. I know, <laughs> because they're such a luxury item, you would um, expect that you would just buy them and hang them. It would be yes. passed down for generations yeah, and generations exactly. from like, the Romanov Empire. I don't yep. know. <laughs> <laughs> but you can actually buy chandeliers for like... 100 or 200 dollars from pottery barn now it's not like um they have this aesthetic of status and wealth but um unless they're real crystal then Mm. they're not actually the price range goes from quite low to quite high so just depends and you painted these yeah yeah Yeah. so i asked his mum if she has any more (laughs) because their entire house in perth is full of chandeliers and she's got them all lying around in the back garage and she 
like I think that his mum is an artist because of her aesthetic sense of colour palettes and putting things together um, in a very, you know, aesthetic, considered way. She does everything really well and properly and, and very kind of formal approach to um, ornamentation and uh, design objects. You think about, you know, the idea of being house proud and home proud and also the way in which particular people will you know, create their house to be like this very specific creative outlet for them. It's mm. interesting to explore that through yeah, your work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, it's quite funny because I feel like rather than making things, she buys things. <laughs> and then... What sort of things does she buy? You've sent me some pictures. I've, I've been got, able to see um, a few. She collects crystal. Um, she's really into furniture and um, ceramics and... Wedgwood? Like, yes, Wedgwood, um, porcelain. Um, gosh, uh, she's just got so much stuff. It's unbelievable. From um, Hong Kong, mostly, like things that you can't really get anymore. Antiques, she collects antiques, sorry. Um, Does she know that you've been inspired and yeah, has she seen her. pictures of your exhibition? I sent her some pictures, yeah. What was her response? Um, she, she, I don't know, she liked it. Yeah, <laughs> I I feel bad because I stole a lot of her colour palettes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you guys need to get your eight together. I know, <laughs> totally. And so you also work in a lot of, well, you've, you've had a history of working in museums. In fact, this yeah. is where we met when we oh, were very yes. young, we were babies, yes. I think. I was, I was 21. And you were 23? <laughs> I think I was 21. <laughs> 21. And, wow. um, and we would get in trouble because we, we actually weren't allowed to work together after a we while because we, we got banned. <laughs> they wouldn't roster us on together because we had too much fun. <laughs> giggling a lot <laughs> i remember there was lots of giggling and we used to sell audio guides yeah um yep. but so <laughs> museums are quite interesting to you mm. and you're particularly interested in the design i actually like for instance i went to and i went and saw the escher exhibition oh. in uh, melbourne oh. and um there were so many people people lining up like it was a buffet oh my god and and like people lining up <laughs> to see one frame drawing and i'm thinking i don't want to see this frame drawing yeah. so i'm trying to whiz past but you couldn't because <laughs> there were so many bodies in there yeah. but i think what interests me most is the way it was so it was like design like theater mm. you know all these colors yep. and, yeah, uh, so and details and yeah what what um what interests well what have you seen recently that has inter interest you in a museum yeah i think um because i work at the art gallery of new south wales i'm very interested in the changing design of our um major exhibitions like mm. our summer shows or um the ones that are ticketed they're usually uh pre-packaged exhibitions that are touring and um we accommodate those exhibitions in our space so the gallery space has to be reconfigured to house those artworks and so it's very dictated and um there's certain shows that we can't get because our ceilings are too low. Right. So with these um, pre-packaged exhibitions, the um, design is almost, you know, close to a movie set, I would say, like mm. in the way that the colours and the lighting, um, the, you know, colours of the walls and the props 
um, that are throughout the exhibition which are themed with the time of the artwork. So it could be uh, Dutch painting, for example. Um, and then, Even how like uh, labels are matching the colour yes, walls as well. Stuff and, like um, that. It's, yes. It is really interesting. Yeah. I find that more interesting than the work often. Yeah, me too. And American product designer Mark Gobey said that there is no neutral font. Right. So when you look at the typefaces, it is communicating a Something. time or a mood or a, a you know um, a theme. So you'll notice with the um, exhibition title, the font, the typeface will be in line with, um, you know, the theme of the exhibition. They might use like a Art Nouveau font for, a, you know, Art Nouveau exhibition, which which makes sense. But I find it, um, yeah, very interesting because it sets the tone for the exhibition when you see that big sign at the front and then you enter and, um, yeah, it is an immersive experience in... With that, no, that's okay. With that in mind, let's quickly go to our next track, which is T69 Collapse by, Af- by the Affix Twins. This is Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5, and there are no neutral fonts. <laughs> <laughs> That was Aphex Twins of T69 Collapse's latest EP, Warp, released last year. We're in studio right now with Marilyn Schneider chatting about her exhibition at Verge Gallery, Disappear Here. We were also talking about the fact that there are no such thing as neutral fonts. (laughs) Very important. Very important. Um, Marilyn, to kick off the rest of the second half of this interview, I wanted to ask what's a piece of architecture that stayed with you? Mm, um, I guess like... Going to Beijing was pretty memorable and I went to Olympic Park there and I saw the bird's nest and the um, aquatic centre. I made two bodies of work after going there. Did you you see the bird nest at night? Like when it's all taking photos? No, I went twice during the day because they had this really weird trade fair there for yes, fire trucks. You love trade fairs. Yes. You go to the Sydney boat fair. Yes, I go to the boat shows. Um, I go to art fairs. What are you looking at when you're at the boat fairs? And the oh, just the um, design of the display booths. Right. And it's a very temporary pop-up, pack-down architecture. So they use very cheap, lightweight materials and lots of beautiful laser-cutting signage. Have you ever been to, like, a home show? Because one time during Easter, my parents took me when I was seven years old to the Melbourne home show. Yeah. Because they were looking to, like, build, like, you know, renovate our house. And I've never been more disappointed as a Um, (laughs) seven-year-old. Spending my Easter walking from one booth to another booth, looking at tiles. Yeah. And then the people behind the tiles, like, being like, do you want one singular trait? <laughs> and me just being like, I don't want to be here. Aww, but I are. imagine now it would be a lot more interesting. Yeah. Well, have totally. you seen any crackers? Like, any things that, that have blown your mind? Oh, uh, I guess, <laughs> like, um, I went to a trade fair in Seoul. It was a home show. Yeah. Um... Just lots of weird stuff. Like, um, I can't even remember now, but like um, synthetic materials that 
that imitate like uh, tiles. There's like fake marble. tiles and marble, and mm-hmm. yeah, really strange. But um, I don't know. I can't think of anything that's like super weird. And you also like a particular department store. Yeah, David Jones. David Jones. David I love Jones. David. Who doesn't love David Jones? So David Jones. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah. Um, I'm sort of interested in the new development that is happening right now in the city store because on level seven they've transformed the shoe section and it looks like Barney's in New York or um, mm. Saks Fifth Avenue. Mm. It's, oh. it's very glamorous. Very glossy. I yeah. Shiny. I have this idea of department stores that's completely like jaded because I worked at Maya, oh, um, God. which is awful, awful. awful. <laughs> worked at Maya for about <laughs> eight months of my life and I could never get back. But I'd never stood in, I'd never walked into a David Jones before until yeah. I worked at Maya. And, oh. then, and then I walked in and I was like, oh, their lighting is warm. It's not this yeah. harsh fluorescent above <laughs> me. Like my eyes feel better. Like even their, like their bed displays are made of wood instead of just like gross plastic. I'm like, yeah. This is, this is how the other half lives. <laughs> <laughs> when I was working at the Art Gallery of South Wales, we had a volunteer um, task force. Um, person who worked like selling tickets and stuff and um, she said oh no I'm just doing this volunteer job because I want a job at Maya and I was like are you insane <laughs> my, the Maya that I used to work at um, really wanted to put in an oyster bar on the top level of their oh. like floor and I was like there are four levels to this place and all of them are <laughs> terrible. You cannot fit in an oyster champagne bar at the top floor of this crummy Maya. It's not going to go well. But, you know, when I was working there as well, the David Jones, like, it flooded at oh, the same time and the no roof way. collapsed while it was working. <gasps> we were like, oh, my gosh, like, the um, oh. our enemy, David Jones, their roof has collapsed. <laughs> Everyone was fine. It was fine. They just didn't have to go to work today. But oh. we really wish that happened to us. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's quite... Difficult to talk about Australian architecture without talking about ugliness. Mm. And um, Australian architect Robin Boyd in 1960 wrote a book called mm. The Australian Ugliness. You, That's been really influential for you, Marilyn. Do you want to talk yeah, about that book? I, I did reference it in my honours paper. I think yeah. I read it a few years ago. Oh, long time ago. It would have been <laughs> 2009 when I did my honours. But um, yeah, I think the thing that stuck out for me was featurism oh, yeah. and how he describes the way that houses are constructed and the interior design as well. It's, um, yeah, uh, so telling. It's just so true. So fe- fe- featurism almost like celebrating mediocrity, like, yes. like drawing attention yeah, to yeah, things yeah. that it's are quite ordinary. It's very sentimental right. and kind of um, like a salon hang, like in a house of of, of ugly paintings, perhaps you might, um, yeah, really make a spectacle out of something that doesn't deserve the attention. <laughs> I don't know, that's probably pretty mean, but um, yeah, it is um, talking about, yeah, how 
mm, kind of silly, I guess it can all be. Mm, mm. Well, I think it's quite interesting what your exhibition does because it sort of isolates and draws attention to all these mm. things, and um, yeah, it's quite it's quite beautiful in a way as well. So thank you so much for coming in on a thank Sunday you. morning, a rainy Sunday morning, mm-hmm. Marilyn. Uh, you can catch Marilyn's exhibition disappear here, and that is at Verge. Gu- gallery currently on show next track is park hi jin with i don't care you're listening to canvas on fbi radio 94.5 or via digital stream i don't care 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 난 그냥 할 거야 내가 하고자 하는 거 This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts